on the vital question, what do we know about man's ability to limit the omnipotence of God in the moral realm from the Bible, we were reading various passages that indicated that God had experienced untold disappointment and immeasurable grief over the entrance of sin into the world and its increased perpetuation among men. And so we come to Micah chapter 6, verses 2 to 5, where we read a great tragic disappointment on the part of God. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel, O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Bala king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. And so think of the tender words from the heart of God. O my people, what have I done unto thee? Testify against me. God was so anxious to win the hearts of men that he invited scrutiny. Although man could find no fault with God, he is invited to try anything that might open his blind eyes in shutting out fellowship with God. In the 81st Psalm, verses 8 to 16, God is pleading with his people through the psalmist. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee. O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts, lusts, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, God said. This sums up God's inner yearnings to win man's happy allegiance so that his love could be returned. It would have led to such profound fellowship as is there set forth. Coming to the New Testament, as our Lord Jesus Christ was born into this world, there arose a great persistence to remove him from this earthly existence on the part of the leaders. He was indeed unwelcomed by them. And so we read of this in Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15, where God moved upon Joseph and Mary to take the precious child into Egypt. How sad it is recorded in the first chapter of John's Gospel and verse 11 concerning the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When we consider the implications of this brief verse, it is indeed tremendous. Verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. How sad that man who was Christ's own possession found his Creator unwelcome. How are we to suppose that our Lord felt in his kind and tender heart? No wonder John said that he was bearing away the sin of the world during his lifetime as well as in his death. In the 19th chapter of Luke, we have the Lord Jesus presenting himself officially to the nation Israel as the Savior and Messiah. The enthusiasm of the multitude of disciples was dampened by the rejection of the Jewish leaders as they approached Jerusalem. As the procession passed over a hill and the city became visible, the sight of the temple and the city of God's special choice lying in rebellion was too much for our loving Savior. And we read in verse 41, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and shall compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. How great was the Savior's grief as he wept over the city! Within his bosom he knew what the blessings of God upon the people might have been if they had received him. What an unspeakable tragedy and disappointment was this. But perhaps two days later, our Lord Jesus expressed himself further from the very depths of his heart as he had occasion to lament the loss of happy parental relationship between God and man. We have recorded in the 23rd chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 37 and 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which I sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. The psalmist had used the analogy of wings quite often in the sense of protection and contentment. But all the tender things that God had planned for man could not be bestowed. Man was the loser beyond measure, but far greater has been the loss to God, whose abounding love must to a large extent be pent up within his bosom and is denied the privilege and right of manifestation toward man, the object of his love. The Bible therefore overwhelmingly sets forth the disappointment and immeasurable grief of the Godhead over the entrance of sin into the world and its increased perpetuation from generation to generation. Thus, the omnipotence of God has been limited by man in the moral realm. A situation has been brought into being that sheer force cannot overcome. But in the second place, God exercises his great wisdom and employs all possible resources in pleading with men to conform to his wise and holy will. 
all without success in the great majority of instances. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, we read, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And so in spite of the great striving of the Holy Spirit, sinners pressed on in the mammoth sinful development, as told in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so the great climactic judgment of the flood became necessary. There was no other way to terminate these intensified sinful practices. So man is able to resist the strivings of the Holy Spirit. In the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 1 to 6, Moses is summarizing God's dealings with Israel to find out how they would respond. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know it was in thy heart whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to fear him. But their obedience had to be their own, and thus omnipotence had to be held in obedience. It could not force the people into paths of obedience. And so God learned the tragic experience of with the children of Israel of their persistent disobedience. In Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, we read that God is anxiously observing man's reaction to his measures and strongly manifests his convicting and strengthening power to all who give heed. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So God looks for man's reaction before his kind and tender heart can be opened. But omnipotence cannot conquer man's will because man's reaction must be his own. In the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, verses 14 to 16, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he hath hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and despised his words, and misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. 
So in the face of resistance and transgression, God is pictured as energetically exercising his power and influence directly and through his servants in tenderness and in sternness to counteract the ways of sin, only to fail of this purpose, making necessary judgment and wrath without remedy. We shall continue in our next presentation. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, receive thanks for the tender dealings that thou hast manifested to man. How we thank thee that thou dost go to and fro throughout the whole earth, and any who sincerely repent of their sins and react to thy tender convicting power and turn from their sinful ways that are so offensive unto thee, thou hast promised to exercise mercy and love and forgiveness toward them. Oh, that many might respond to thy tender heart this very day. Come in repentance to the cross of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who beareth away the sins of the world, that through faith in his death they may find forgiveness and be restored to happy fellowship, and above all, create a new happiness in thy great being. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.